the end of Jonah. We have about one or two more messages in here. And then we will move on. And, and in, in the book of Jonah, we are seeing this prophet take many shapes and forms, aren't we? There is one thing we can and should commend Jonah for, and it's this. Writing a biography that just doesn't show his good side. He just doesn't say, hang on, don't take the picture yet. I want to show my good side. Instead, he says, let me turn to the other side as well. We've seen so far in this book, as we've started it, rebellion and disobedience to God's calling on his life. And then we fast forward. We see sacrifice. And then we see humility as he's in the fish. And then obedience as he goes to Nineveh. And now we're seeing downright filthy immature anger towards God. It was Charles Spurgeon who actually said, so you get two Charles Spurgeon quotes today, who commended this prophet by saying, biographies of men are seldom truthful because the writer cannot read the hearts of those whom they describe. But if they could read them, they would not like to print what they would see there. But here is a man inspired of God to write his own biography and he tells us of this sad piece of folly and does not attempt in the least degree to mitigate the evil of it. What we are seeing today is on the cusp of an entire city repenting and turning to God. And how do we see this prophet respond? We see him respond by not being happy one bit. Let me try to illustrate it like this for us. Have you ever been around a person who just does not and will not rejoice with those who are experiencing grace? It's, it's like the two siblings, one sibling gets caught. Two siblings are in front of their parents. The mom had made freshly baked cookies and said, you cannot have any cookies until after dinner. Well, one of them decided that they were going to have cookies. So mom and dad called the children, the brother and sister, into the room and asked, who had cookies? We told you not to eat them before dinner. Well, the daughter raised her hand and with a tear in her eye said, I did. I ate the cookies. I am so sorry. The mom and dad looked and said, you're forgiven. Go and play. Now, the older brother hung around till the sister left. See, a couple of weeks before, the older brother ate one cookie and the sister ate three cookies. And she was let off the hook. Now the brother was forgiven as well, but the brother, when he stood behind, said, why did you not ground her? She had three cookies, I only had one, and you let her go too? That's unfair. She should have no cookies for the rest of her life. 
you could tell that this is a five-year-old saying this. Um, the brother was unhappy that the sister experienced the same grace that he experienced as well. This is how we're going to see Jonah respond, as silly of an illustration as that may be. This is Jonah's response to God's grace towards Nineveh. This prophet's preaching has been used to see the greatest revival in the history of mankind. It says that 120,000 people repented, and not only that, but the king called the animals to repent. You've got to be a pretty great preacher to get the king to say animals need to repent too. Someone once said that you see a lot of ministers quit ministry because they haven't seen success in their preaching ministry, but you never really see those quit because their preaching ministry has been successful, and this is what we're seeing. Jonah successfully preaches a message and people respond in faith and repentance and the success causes him to quit. We'll see. He tells God, kill me now. If it's not them, then it's me. And so ultimately, in these four verses, what are we going to see? What's the big picture? What's the big idea? What's the main point? It's that Jonah simply is angry that the Lord would be gracious to Nineveh. We'll see this, how Jonah responds. We're going to see this, how he tells us the reason why he fled to Tarshish in the first place. We're going to see this by the resolution that he comes up with because of God's grace towards Nineveh. We're going to see God give such a sharp and yet simple question that causes Jonah to have to think about his motives. So you would think that after God sending you to preach at a place so evil and wicked and a revival break out, that you would be over the moon with excitement, that you'd be like a kid in a candy shop. But this isn't the case with Jonah as we read in verse 1. But it displeased Jonah. It displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. So as we come to this first verse, we, we need to recognize the word but. Why is this word here? But it displeased Jonah. What displeased Jonah? That Jonah would go to Nineveh and call out against Nineveh, and their response would be to turn from their evil ways. And that God's response would be to forgive them, to turn his wrath, to relent from his destruction on them. And so this displeased Jonah exceedingly. Or, better yet, what we could say is that Jonah was exceedingly angry. He thought this was exceedingly evil. The word displeased here can be translated as displeased, as, as evil, as hot. The word angry here can be translated as burn. 
Jonah was hot with anger that the Lord would forgive this evil and wicked city. That the king would call the city to repentance and that the Lord would relent. You know, I can't help but just think of the prodigal son in this scenario. As some of you may know, the prodigal son sometimes can be painted as it's just about the son that leaves and we forget about the older brother that hangs out in the background. But really, in context, it's not just about the younger brother, but it's mainly about the older brother because Jesus is telling this parable to the Pharisees. The parable goes like this. The brother asked the father, the younger brother asked the father, give me my inheritance now so I can go to a foreign land and spend it on prostitutes and drinking and gluttony. And he does it. He goes to a foreign land where nobody knows his name, where he can get away with as much sin as he could possibly spend on it. And it gets to a point where then he has no money. He finds himself as a Jewish man in a pig pen feeding pigs with no money to buy food, so he has to eat what pigs eat. He comes to his senses and says, oh, my father, my father is a good and righteous man, and if I go to him and repent, then he will take care of me, and he will give me the lowest bar of servitude. But I know he will take care of me. I know I won't be in the pig pen. And so the brother comes back, the wayward son comes back, and the father embraces him and hugs him and throws a party for him, puts new robes on him, gives him a ring. And when the older brother finds out about this, he is furious. How could you possibly forgive this son of yours who has went away to a foreign land, spent all of this money that was yours, and you have the audacity to forgive him? This is Jonah. The older brother. God, you have the audacity to forgive the Ninevites? It is possible. As we see in our passage this morning. To have experienced the grace of God. And yet instill our immaturity, not understand grace. And so in our lives, this is one thing that we need to be asking ourselves. Not just have I experienced God's grace from God himself, but do I extend his grace to others? Do I know what it is actually like to be a forgiven child of God? And so this is displeasing to Jonah that he God would forgive the Ninevites. But he goes on to say something that helps put this whole book together for us. Jonah prayed in verse 2. He prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, 
Is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. Just going to stop right there real quick. Jonah had this gut feeling. This is what Jonah is saying here. I, God had this gut feeling when you were telling me this and I was praying to you. That if I were to go there, what had happened would happen. I knew that if Nineveh turned and repented, then you would be gracious to them. I had this gut feeling. This is why I ran to Tarshish in the first place. I told you I didn't want to go there because I had this feeling. And I don't want to be the prophet to deliver this news. I'm the prophet that delivers the news to King Jeroboam that our walls will be strengthened. Not the prophet that goes to a foreign evil city so that way they can repent. I don't want to be used for good in this case, I want to be used for good in the context of my own nation. Jonah, deep in his heart, knew that this was going to be the outcome if Nineveh would repent. And he was correct. But here's how much Jonah intellectually knows God's grace and yet is still sadly removed from God's grace. I couldn't help but be struck by this one word as I was reading through this passage in my study time. Jonah said, for I knew. For I knew. I knew, Jonah said, I knew this is who you are, God. I knew. What is it that he knew? That you are a gracious God and a merciful God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Do you know what Jonah is doing here? Jonah is quoting God himself. When Moses is up on Mount Sinai, if, if you want uh, an address, Exodus 34, 6, and 7, Moses is up on Mount Sinai and God is renewing his covenant with Moses right after they make the golden calf. And he's saying, this is who I am. I am a gracious and merciful God who is slow to anger, who is abounding in steadfast love. This is who God is. And Jonah knew it. This is why Jonah wanted to flee to Tarshish, because he knew that God is a gracious and merciful God who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. So he could guarantee that if Nineveh repented, God would turn. And he didn't want Nineveh to receive that grace. Isn't this amazing? It's amazingly sad. And it also should give us great hope. It's sad because we see this prophet, this prophet of God who knew that this is who God is. Gracious, merciful, slow to anger, 
abounding in steadfast love. And yet he wanted to run from allowing people to receive the good news that this is who God is. And yet, don't we tend to do that as well? We put God's grace in a box. We confine it. We put stipulations and conditions. And sometimes we can be so blind to it. But we tend to have the people that we like, the people we'd like to interact with, the people who we feel comfortable sharing the gospel with, And we say things like, I don't know if you could be a Christian and do this or be that. And so we, like Jonah at times, can become self-righteous, inward-focused, thinking that if you, in order to become a follower of God, you must somehow behave first. L look, we see right away, Nineveh's whack theology. I'll go back to it because I just can't get over it. Re calling animals to repent. And yet, God is still gracious towards them. But here's the next thing in this verse that I just want us to look at a little bit. It's what it means that God is a gracious and merciful God. And Jonah tells us what makes God gracious and merciful. What is it? It's that he's slow to anger. That's something that we just, as humans, don't understand. There's nothing like being a parent or babysitting to realize just how impatient and angry you can get. And yet, what does our passage here tell us? That our Heavenly Father is not quick-tempered. He does not see the mistake and then just immediately lay down the hammer. He is slow to anger. We see this in the life of Israel after they continuously trust in him and then fall away. Trust in him and then fall away. And it isn't until years upon years where God calls them back. God is slow to anger. You may have grown up with parents or relatives who are quick to anger, but that is not God. He's slow. But not just is, is, is he slow to anger, but he has abounding steadfast love. Something, once again, that is hard for us to understand because as humans, we don't have steadfast love, do we? Our love wavers. On good days, our love is more. On bad days, our love is less. That is part of being human. And yet, not only 
is God's love abounding, overflowing. It's steadfast. It doesn't waver. It can't be shaken. It's steadfast. And so if you at all this morning are questioning the love of God. Here is a passage that should strengthen us mightily. That despite our circumstances, despite what is going on, God has steadfast love. Once again, he isn't looking for the impressive. Your sin today or yesterday hasn't caused his love to go up or to go down. It's the same today as it was yesterday, and it will be the same tomorrow as it is today. This is what grace and mercy are in our lives. (laughs) That God is a God who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. For what reason? That he does not want disaster. He doesn't desire for people to perish, but he desires for all to come to him. This was Jesus' great work on the cross, was it not? We see grace and mercy meet on the cross because God is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He sent his son Jesus to experience his full wrath so that we could be partakers of this steadfast love so that Jesus would be the recipient of all of God's anger and we would be the recipient of God's steadfast love in our lives. This is a glorious picture of grace and mercy. Do you have this grace and mercy in your life? Are you looking for this grace and mercy? Maybe in your relationships, all you've ever experienced is somebody who is quick to be angry and slow to love. And this is not the God of the Bible that we worship. He's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And Jonah knew this. And yet his response when Nineveh repents and God's response of turning from his destruction on Nineveh is like a little child who says, I'm going to take my ball and go home now. Look at it with me. Verse 3. Therefore, now, O Lord, please, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than live. But what Jonah is essentially saying is because you didn't destroy them and take their lives, then just take my life. I don't want them to experience salvation. It's all right if I experience salvation, but my enemies, no way. Don't give them salvation. Destroy them. No, you won't destroy them. Then destroy me. Take my life. I can't bear to live as the prophet who went into enemy territory 
and came out with them repenting to you, turning to you, being recipients of your grace and mercy. I mean, it's just absolutely crazy to me that in chapter 2 we see this chapter that at the end Jonah is sitting here shouting out thank you God for your great salvation how wonderful is it those who have idols are like fools and yet those who then turn from their idols and turn to God he says kill me take my life Jonah is saying salvation is good if salvation is for me. Grace is good if it's just that grace is good for me. And this is how we then tend to put conditions and boxes around God's grace. It's all right if you forgive me, God but not them. And aren't our hearts prone to this? And so what does God do? This question that we're going to read in verse 4 sets up really the rest of the chapter. So this will be a preview. But God asks one simple question to Jonah. Do you do well to be angry, Jonah? It seems like a, question, uh, a simple question, but God is in the business of not just asking surface-level questions, but questions that get to the heart of the matter. So, Jonah, if you knew that this is who I was, if you knew this grace, and you knew this mercy, and you knew that I was a God who was gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster, does it really do you well to be angry? What are you profiting from your anger right now? Is it unfair that I forgive Nineveh? I mean, this is just like the parable that Jesus told about the servant who was forgiven a large amount of debt. The master forgives a large amount of, of debt of this servant, and the servant thanks him, but immediately after he's forgiven of this debt, the servant goes to another servant who owes him a little amount of money and says, I want you thrown in prison unless you can come up with the money. This is how Jonah is responding, ungrateful for the grace that he has received. What we have seen in this passage is really the hypocrisy in Jonah's heart. What Jonah is essentially saying 
is that salvation is great for me. Grace and mercy from you, God, is great from, for me, but, but for Nineveh, it's unfair. But the question that we must ask is, what makes one person more deserving of God's mercy than the next person? And the answer to that is nothing makes one person more deserving of God's mercy than the next. Because all of our hearts are stained with sin. And so this is how I'd like to conclude. We, we must keep a close watch on our understanding. On our belief of God's grace. Here Jonah was upset at God. Even though Jonah knew that God is a gracious, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. God, Jonah had so much hate and anger toward Nineveh that it almost seems that he's stepping over this line of accusing God for being gracious to this nation. Jonah in chapter 2 praising God and thanking Him for the grace and salvation He received, but then almost condemning God, questioning God for the grace and mercy that Nineveh received. We all fall short of the glory of God and deserve God's wrath. That is the truth. But because God is a gracious and merciful God who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, has sent Jesus, His only Son, to take the wrath, to take our sin, to reconcile us back to Him. And we can experience that through faith and repentance. And when we come to him in faith and repentance, what do we experience? He receives us. He receives us like he received Nineveh. But when he receives us, this is where we need to be on guard. Because sin still lingers. Temptation still lingers. And so we must fight and know that although when we come to him in faith and repentance, it is a temptation to also act like Jonah, to be prone to self-righteousness, to putting conditions on God's grace. We are prone to stick up our noses and say, I'm more deserving of God's grace than the next person. And so what we must be committed to is drilling deep down into our hearts and see our sin in its truest form. And when we see our sin in its truest form, we also see God's grace in its greatest form, which allows us to love our neighbors the way God has called us to, like our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, 
would you protect our hearts? Would you protect us from becoming like the Pharisee that says, at least I'm not like this tax collector? Protect us from self-righteous hearts and allow us to see your mercy and grace, your slowness to anger, your abounding and steadfast love as big as we possibly can. Allow us to understand more richly and deeply who you are. Pray this in your son, Jesus.